0: So you've got one life to live, so make the most of it. You only live once, so don't waste it. You've only got one shot at it, so make it count. YOLO. That's you only live once for some of you. But I know this, if you don't live by the motto YOLO, you're going to be suffering from a lot of FOMO. Fear of missing out for some of you. Now, how do you live your life? Don't you want to make sure that you've seized every opportunity, that you get the right job, marry the right person, have the best adventures, and tick off everything on your bucket list? I mean, wouldn't your parents want this for you? Wouldn't Jesus want this for you? After all... You only have one life to live. Well, let's look at what Jesus says. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus says this. I want you to have the same attitude as I have. So do what I do, Jesus says. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he made himself nothing, And being found in human appearance, he he became like us. But not just like us, he became humble. He humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, Philippians goes on and Paul says this in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain from the resurrection of the dead. You see, Jesus' motto was not, I've got one life to live. His motto, I've got one life to give. Such a little change of letters with a powerful impact. How about you? Now, you could say, well, I've given. I've given my life. I give. I just had an offering. I gave. What are we talking about when Jesus says, I've got one life to give. Follow me. My prayer, my hope tonight, there is a reorienting, a changing, a shifting of our mind, our heart, our will, and yes, our future to fall in line with the word of God what he says. So in order to describe this a bit more, I'll tell you a story. In this story, you could call me Pastor Simon. You see, I'm a pastor in the city of quite a big church. Call it a mega church if you want. And I had in my heart that I want want some unity among the pastors, among the churches. So I decided I'm going to have a get-together with other pastors in the area at my place. I live out in the burbs. I've got a nice pool in the backyard, a nice barbecue. We'll have some love and fellowship as pastors. And so I got Pastor Craig and Pastor Tom, Pastor Bruce, all pastors of rather large churches like myself. And I've got Pastor Sherman and Pastor Todd, you know, kind of mid-sized churches. And you know what? I even invited Pastor Joshua, church planter. He goes around with a bit of a ragtag group of people. Anyway, pretty nice that I am. I invited Pastor Joshua. So, we're there in my backyard. You got some pastors in the pool playing volleyball. You got some on a chaise lounge. You got some with me by the barbecue. Oh, fellowship. Pastoral fellowship. Until... Almost imperceptibly, the back gate opens and closes, and there she is, standing there in the shortest skirt I have ever seen, and the biggest hair, and the load of makeup. How did she get in here? Like... I recognized her. I mean, she was that one that was on the street often. Oh, the guys in the pool stop playing volleyball. They recognized this one. She was that one on the street. I quickly looked over at my wife. Her jaw dropped. Now, a bit of a holy anger began to rise within me because this was a holy gathering of brothers. The pastors in the community, this was a holy backyard. How dare? Before I could say anything, she's into my yard walking right up to the pool to Pastor Joshua, laying on the Shage Lounge with his sunnies on. Well, she stands at his feet. He pulls his glasses down and looks. And do you know what he does? Smiles. Her eyes begin to fill fill with tears and they start coming down her face. To make matters worse, she bends down and begins to wipe his feet with her big hair. Now, the rest of us were frozen in our tracks because what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then even worse, she starts kissing his feet. So Joshua... Or shall I say, Pastor Joshua? You obviously know this woman. Why did, who invited him here? He's sitting on the Shage Lounge, loving it. She's kissing all over his feet. Then she takes out this flask of perfume, dumps it on his feet. It hits my pool deck. The whole backyard fills with perfume. Pastor Joshua almost like he could read my mind, he cuts the tension with a knife. says, hey, Pastor Simon, you pay taxes? Why are we talking about taxes? Of course I pay taxes. I'm a pastor. Okay, so let's say you owed the government $100,000. Pastor Craig here owed 1000 And the government said, we're going to forgive both of your debts. Which one of you would be more grateful? And I said, well, okay, 100000 yeah, I would be. Exactly. Pastor Joshua continued, do you know what, Pastor Simon? When I came into your house, you didn't even shake my hand. You didn't offer me a drink. You didn't even give me any food. You hardly talked to me. I'm sitting on the Shage Lounge. You know what? This woman, when she came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet, pouring perfume on them. Do you know what? This woman loves me a lot because she's been forgiven a lot. How about you, Pastor Simon? And I stood there with the holy anger boiling. So this guy is actually saying, I forgive you. How dare he? If you want the full story, check out Luke 7 sometime. (laughs) You see, here's the truth. We worship what we believe, don't we? The truth is you worship, you give your worship to that which you believe is God. In that story, who really is God? Pastor Simon. Okay, not the only God, but I'm a bit like God. I'm pretty holy, aren't I? Right, do we have this way of giving our worship to God, but then giving our worship to him and her and me? Our first place of giving you know, you've got one life to give, it's in worship. And I'm not just talking about the Sunday or the Friday night meeting or the quiet time or the song or that dance, but I'm talking about the worship modeled to us from scriptures, the worship that Jesus loved. It was the extravagant, over the top. I'll bring you more than a song kind of worship, For what was her worship? It was a sacrifice. She walked into the den of lions of pastors or Pharisees, didn't she? Lost whatever reputation she could cling to, she lost even more. Looked ridiculous, if you will. Crying, looked weak and fragile. But somehow she didn't care because she had her Jesus in her sights. What could you give? Is he worth it? Is he worth it, or do you have one life to live? Those who have one life to live, really, the worship eventually goes back here. I mean, I'll give you some stuff, Jesus. I'll I'll give you my money, a bit. I'll give you some of my worship, but am I done now? Because it's coming back to me. Oh, my friends, do you've got one life to live or one life to give? But Jesus doesn't just say, I want your worship. He loves your extravagant, over-the-top worship from your heart. But you know what he also says? Well... Suppose this suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, and does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? You see, faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But you know, someone will say, Oh, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Oh, my foolish friends. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And so scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, a man is justified not by faith alone, but by what he does. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James 2. Now, what if Christine, my wife, said to me, Hey, Cliff, the kitchen floor is really sticky. There's junk all over it. Could you mop it, please? And I said to her, Christine, just a moment. Could you sit on the couch with me? I just have a burden on on my heart. Could you pray with me right now for the nations? What would she say? (laughs) After you mop the floor. I'm talking about the floor. What if my daughter, Avery, says, hey, Dad, I want to hang out with my friends. Could I have $10, please? I just want to hang out with my friends. And I say, Avery, I'll give you something even better than $10. Come here. Come here. Let me give you a kiss. (laughs) I'm asking you for $10 here. What are we talking about? Oh, my friends, you know what? Oh, Lord, I give you my heart. And only my heart, that's all you care about. Sure, I'll give you my worship. At church, I'll I'll even lift up my hands. I might even do a dance. But the kitchen floor, come on. And what does Jesus say? You find me on the kitchen floor. Do you have one life to live? or one life to give. In our day, in our world, do you know what the servant is? That's the place you start out in life. I went from the dish crew to CEO in 10 years. I was scrubbing toilets in the church, and now I am the pastor of pastors. I'm building up. I'm going somewhere. How many parents... Would say as their dream for their child, someday I want my son or daughter to be a servant. A really good servant. What? That just doesn't sound right, does it? And yet we look at Jesus. Do you remember? The words you heard a bit earlier, Philippians chapter 2. What is the pathway of Jesus' life? Who being in very nature God, that's pretty much the top you're starting at. Bigger than the CEO. Being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But do you know what he became? Nothing. Do you know what nothing is? You. Me. Me. For God, that leap, right? God becoming a man or a woman, that is called nothing. But do you know what? He didn't stop there. This nothing he became, a person like us, he became a servant. And not just that, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death. And not just that, death on a cross. Do you see the, the pinnacle of Jesus' life? Was serving, whipped and beaten on the ground, put in a tomb. What is your plan? I've got one life to live, I've got one life to give. What does Jesus want from us? Well, he tells us what he wants. As his disciples gathered around him before his ascension, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, literally it says, as you go, make disciples of all nations. You, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. You, baptize them. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. See, I've got one life to give impacts your heart, your worship, right? But it goes beyond that. It impacts your hands, your serving. But it goes beyond that. It goes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. One life to give impacts your feet where you go, where are you going? God says, oh, my heart is for those who haven't heard. My heart is for those who are lost, those who are hurting and broken. You know, the words that I just spoke of in Matthew 28, we call it the great commission, um, As in, there's some commissions, and then there's a great commission. No, this is actually the commission. This is what he told you and I to do. There's not, like, options. As a Christian, you like commission A, commission B, or the great commission. Take your pick. What would you like? You know, some of you, a bit fanatical, called as missionaries. And then you got the normal average Joe, you know, called to be a Christian and do stuff. A commission of sorts. My friends, you have been commissioned. That's it. Or do you have one life to live? He says, I have blessed you with one chance. You got one shot at this to give. I have blessed you with your personality, your gender, your time in history, your age right now give. You follow Jesus in this. Well, if it's not clear yet, Jesus says this in Mark 8. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way. This, I've got one life to live. I got to live it. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Probably many people in here either have asked or are asking God right now, God, what is your will? What is your plan for me? Like, what's the next step? Like, I know what I'm doing right now, but something's coming. I can sense it. I can feel it. I really want to know what it is. God, I want to give you something. You have been commissioned. Some of you might even be thinking, God, are you calling me into missions? And I'm not just talking about a mission trip. I'm talking about into long-term, lifelong missions. And let me tell you, my friends, he has already called you. Already called. You've been commissioned. Check it out, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 1-8, Mark chapter 8, you've been commissioned. Now, the details of your location or the actual ministry or the the relationship, or the people, the place that you will actually end up, that's actually a side issue. Oh, he'll get you there. That's okay. But what he's saying is, will you hang on to your life, or your ways, and the actual job, or the relationship, or the place you go, the occupation, is the major issue in your life. And then, well, yeah, I mean, I'll be nice to people, and tell people about Jesus along the way. He gave us a commission. You've been called as a long-term missionary. You have. Jesus is your Lord. You've been called. That's it. But he says, will you respond to me? You can do this. This is a reorienting of our lives because Jesus is not calling for some more of your worship. He's not calling for a bit more of your time. He wants it all. All of it. All of it. Because I would imagine we've all been there, as I have, and said, Jesus, I'll give you this. Now can I do this? Right? <laughs> Jesus, I, I want, oh, okay, okay, I, I will give you. But you're going to give me too, right? I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. Right? It kind of works that way in this world. And Jesus says, I'm Lord. See, here's the truth. It's not until we've given that we actually live. So Jesus says, it's not until we actually lose our way, my life, my bucket list, my dream, my plan, when we lose that, meaning, here you go, Jesus. Here you go. Take it. Take it. And he gives us the best. But is it a step of faith? Is it a step of trust? Oh, yeah. It always is. But is he worth it? Yes. Some in this room, you're thinking, man, I've been serving. And I've been cleaning. And I've been cooking. And I've been working hard. The word of the Lord comes to you and wants to validate what you're doing. Well done. I am with you in the kitchen. I am with you next to the toilet. Because I went even lower than that. So I get what you're doing. Well done with your service. Well done. Keep it up. For some, he says, oh, you are in the midst wanting me you are in the midst of loving me you're in the midst of serving yet you got this thing where you've got one eye over the fence or that back door is just hanging in the wind just in case things don't work out just in case I'm not sure I like this thing of giving all to Jesus. I got my escape plan right there just in case. But I want you, God. I want to give all. He's saying to you, my friends, tonight, that back door slams shut. Tonight, no more plan B, C, D, E, and F that we can concoct in our mind just in case. You can have it all. All. For some of us, we're really searching. God, what are you saying for my future? I really want to know. I want to please you. I want to honor you. And do you know what he's saying? I'm still waiting for you to come to my feet and pour out your tears. Pour out the perfume. Pour out your love, your worship. That's what I'm longing for. Oh, yeah, the future thing, where you're going to go. That's the easy stuff. I'm looking for the worship. What do you want to give? And it's often in that radical, consistent, extravagant worship that the future is unlocked. And Oh, yeah, do that. Go there. Here's an idea for you. But he longs for you and I to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is him. Which is this radical, I want to surrender, I want to sacrifice for you. So what is God saying to you? Specifically, perhaps you're tired of serving and you're waiting for it to come back your way. Perhaps this is the first time you are hearing You've been called as a long term missionary. You need to get that settled in your spirit. And then the other details of where and with who and what kind of ministry. So, as he leads you into the police force, why are you there to make money and that's your life? Or are you there because you've been commissioned? and you're there to make disciples in the hospital. Some of you, he's calling as long-term missionaries right here at YWAM. Are you willing to follow me? Trust me with the details, but you can have it all, Lord. Often in this thing of missions, we have dreams, don't we? Someday, God, when I am old and gray, I've retired and I've made my millions, I'll give it to you. Dear God, I will give you the most broken down, decrepit years of my life. You're worthy. How about this? Give him your youth. Give him the most energetic, bright, live time of your life. Give that to him. Not a tithe of your years, but all of your years. This is what he asks you for. And he asks. He does not demand. He could demand. But he stands before you and he knocks and he says, do you hear my voice? You've got one shot at this thing called life. You've got one life to give. Will you do it for me? Oh, you could have one life to live and do a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of good stuff even. You could even go on a mission trip or two or three or four living your own life. Or, all right, I'm done with that. Jesus, I've got one life to give. How could I do that? As someone once said, God, make me like the loose change in your pocket. Spend me as you will. You want to be loose change? You want to be a servant? That's where Jesus is. Saint Francis of Assisi, a long time ago, prayed these words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it's in dying That we are born to eternal life. Choose to lose myself for him. To gain everything. Would you lay down your plans? Would you lay down this thing within you of like, when's someone going to serve me? Would you lay that down at his feet? Would you lay down the re-gifting of your worship? He wants a fresh sacrifice. And say, you can have it all, Lord. All, right? Because he's not asking for some or more. He says, all of it.